Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good morning, live from New York. I'm Richard Quest in for Julia Chatterley this morning. This is First Move, and here's what you need to know. There are fresh record highs on the New York market as investors give thanks. The real economy still struggles. At the same time, COVID surges as the U.S. sees its deadliest day in some six months. And Americans are preparing for a very different kind of Thanksgiving holiday. In Hong Kong, restrictions abound. New ones, bars, nightclubs, karaoke rooms are closed. COVID cases are increasing. It is Wednesday, middle of the week. Let's make a move. And to begin this Wednesday with the initial U.S. unemployment claims for last week that came in just about half an hour ago, another 778,000 Americans filed for benefits. It's an increase of 30,000 from the previous week. There had been expectations of a slight fall. And if you look at the markets, it's the final full trading day uh, because of Thanksgiving. This is what a shortened week looks like. <clears throat> the futures down for the Dow and the S&P, but the digitals and the Nasdaqs, they are up. A slight pullback is expected, and the Nasdaq will push on towards further records. The global mixture is mixed. Investors have been in a festive mood, with the Dow closing above 30,000 points for the first time ever on Tuesday. The S&P is also at a record high. The Nasdaq is not far behind. Those are uh, the markets. Now, it is not only U.S. that's doing well. Other global benchmarks are having a November to remember. The Japanese Nikkei up 14%, 14%. It's almost a 30-year high uh, so far uh, for, for the Nikkei up 26,297. The London FTSE and the German DAX are up 15%. The Hong Kong Hang Seng is up 10%. The DAX is not far off all-time highs as well. As you can see, it's the, um, the DAX is lagging just marginally. Emerging markets are getting a boost from a record investment flows. The main indices in Brazil and Thailand are up more than 15% to name just two. And that's only on this month. With rebounds, sharp rebounds in energies, financials, industrials, propelling the Dow's to records, all three sectors up double digits so far this month. That's the way it looks. The drivers and Paul LaMonica is here. It begs the question, Mr. LaMonica, is it justified? I mean, I can see the technical reason that it is central bank funding that's kept the markets bullion. But the underlying trends and strains and stresses, is it justified? That's a very difficult question, Richard. I think obviously right now the big issue for the markets is that they are ignoring the data that is going to come out for the next few weeks that will not show a picture of health for the U.S. economy, a lack of stimulus from the uh, you know uh, uh, fiscal side, 
will mean that more Americans are going to be out of work. We see that with these bad jobless claims numbers this morning. You know, retail sales could potentially suffer even as we head in to the holidays. But there's hope. Everyone is hopeful that we now have a new administration coming in and that maybe Joe Biden will be a little bit more willing to compromise less so, uh, you know, more so than, uh, you know, President Trump has been, that we may get a stimulus deal in the new year. It might be a skinnier one than we would have gotten if there was the blue wave that people were predicting. But I think people are choosing to look at the hopeful signs and ignoring the bleak reality that will be the fourth quarter of 2020. Okay, so you see, that's the issue, Paul. I can make an argument that says from next year, we are off to the races again. And we have this minor matter, not of an awful winter with COVID. But will investors see through that? Sure, there'll be volatility as we get some bad corporate numbers. But will investors price in now that recovery that we see or what what everybody's I mean, come on, let's be blunt here. What everybody thinks next year is a buying opportunity. I mean, I think I think investors are pricing in the expected rebound in the economy and corporate profits and the job market right now. So it does beg the question, Richard, are 2021 gains being pulled into the market at the end of 2020? I mean, keep in mind, I mean, the Dow getting at 30,000, that's a flashy headline, but the Dow's still only up about 5% this year, which is by no means anything to sneeze at. That's a respectable number, but the S&P 500's up more than 12%. The NASDAQ is up nearly 35%. This has not been a bad year for the market if you look beyond the 30 stocks in the Dow. It's been a great year for investors, but investors are profiting at a time when many Americans are still struggling. They're out of work. And it is a very difficult that, time unless you're invested or you have a house that you're looking to sell. You know, it's a weak economy. I mean, the housing market remains red hot, too, amazingly. Paul and Monica. Paul, thank you, sir. Now, sources are telling CNN that President Trump is expected to join Rudy Giuliani at a Republican hearing in Pennsylvania today on allegations of voter fraud. John Harwood joins me. John, this has all the possibilities of being the circus in town. I mean, what on earth is the president and Giuliani going to do? Now it's all been certified. The transition's underway. What purpose, John Harwood? Richard, circus is all President Trump has left at this point. And I think the way to think about this event is the president positioning himself for what he's going to do after Joe Biden takes over on January 20th. The president, of course, has allowed the transition to go forward under pressure uh, from Republicans, from the business community, uh, from uh, uh, people within his own administration, uh, as a matter of fact. That's happening, but he's continuing to raise money for his leadership pack for future political endeavors. He's trying to stoke his political base in the future, uh, and that Uh, political base is going to be a source of uh, one, political support, and two, money to be made by the president uh, uh, from uh, members of his base. Remember, more than 70 million people voted 
for Donald Trump. Uh, many of them are willing to believe uh, whatever lies he is telling them about election fraud. Uh, there was no election fraud. He was legitimately but, defeated. But the fact that he's going to uh, make that case uh, is the president preparing himself for his post-presidency. He's checked out of the job of uh, uh, chief executive of the United States right now. Um, the, I, I listened last night to Biden's interview, uh, the president-elect's interview uh, with Lester Holt on NBC. What grabbed you about that? As I listened to it, um, you know, he's very forceful, Biden, on where he's going, less forceful on issues of the team and the balancing and the progressives and that, and even less forceful on uh, the first 100 days. I think the uh, significant thing from that interview, Richard, was the president-elect uh, maintaining an even keel, uh, not trying to provoke a fight with President Trump. He understands that Trump's acting out and will continue to act out all the way up through and beyond January 20th. Uh, but he emphasized the sincerity of the exchanges that have just begun between the current administration, uh, both career officials and the political officials, and the incoming Biden administration. And I think because the president, uh, uh, the current president, Donald Trump, is not interested in doing the job uh, of president, that increasingly m people in the government are going to be taking their cues from the incoming administration. Uh, and it's almost a, a transition that occurs uh, before Joe Biden right. uh, uh, actually takes power. John, final question. Um, look, I, I get I get the stability argument. I get the experience of the new team and all of that. But the reality is, to a lot of Republican Trump supporters, they look at it and say, oh, yeah, he's done exactly what we would expect. He's brought in septuagenarians. He's brought in the old guard. He's brought back everybody. It's not Obama three. He answered that. But he's brought... Where's the excitement in this team? Um, or maybe you don't need it. I don't think Joe Biden is looking for excitement at this point. What he's looking for is seriousness of purpose and competence. Uh, we have a pandemic that is raging in the United States and an incumbent president who uh, essentially has said, I don't care about it. I'm not going to do anything about it. He's uh, promoting a vaccine, which is indeed on the way, and that is a good thing. But in the meantime, uh, the uh, spread uh, is going unchecked through much of the United States. This is a president-elect uh, in Joe Biden who says, I am going to put uh, uh, myself on task and put my team on task of controlling that pandemic. That's the most important thing. He's not looking for uh, razzmatazz at this point. John Howard, we are glad, glad you're with us. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Now, the World Health Organization says Europe is still the biggest global contributor to new COVID-19 cases. 44% of all new cases last week were in Europe and likewise with 49% of the deaths, despite signs that tough restrictions are starting to slow infection rates. The EC's chief says you know, people shouldn't lower their guard now. I know that shop owners, bartenders and waiters in restaurants want an end to restrictions, but we must learn from the summer and not repeat the same mistakes. Relaxing too fast and too much is a risk for third wave after Christmas. Weeks ago, I've said that this Christmas will be different. And yes, it will be quieter. 
Some European nations are moving to gradually relax restrictions, whilst Germany is considering tightening measures after recording 410 deaths over the last 24 hours, the highest single-day death toll so far. Fred Pleiken is in Berlin. Fred, the issue here is... OK, well, we'll talk Germany as well. But the issue here is European countries, unlike the US, have done so much. Lockdowns, mini lockdowns, second lockdowns, mm. travel restrictions, quarantines, the, the, the whole gamut. And yet the numbers are still horrible in Europe. Yeah, yeah, they certainly are. And if you look at Germany as an example, Richard, I, I think that's really the prime one uh, here probably on the uh, on the entire continent. We've been talking so much about Germany over the past couple of months, how they've had the pandemic under control, how they went to lockdown measures very early, how they started early testing. And if you look at now what's been going on in the past couple of weeks, the past couple of months, especially in the second wave, you've had countries like France, countries like Spain, who've had to institute very strict lockdowns and are now sort of coming out of those. And for the first time, uh, the measures here in Germany simply aren't working. If we look at the numbers, for instance, for today, the Germans have recorded 18,633 new infections in a span of 24 hours. That's a thousand more than on Wednesday last week. So for the first time, Angela Merkel, who's been managing this crisis so well, and was really an example also in Europe as well, seems to be, I wouldn't say on the ropes, but certainly under some sort of pressure. Right now, she's debating with her state governors here as to how exactly they can get out of this. One of the things that they're going to do, and this is something that's going to be very, very devastating, especially in the run-up to Christmas for businesses here in this country, especially the restaurant business, for instance, is that the, the light lockdown that they have is going to continue throughout all pretty much all of December. Uh, December 20th, there's going to be some stricter mask mandates in schools, but also the amount of people that you're allowed to conglomerate with is going to be restricted as well, Richard. Fred, simple, simple question then. Have they failed because people aren't following them? Have they failed because they weren't strict yeah. enough? I think it's a, it's a mix of both. I think there has been a little bit of corona fatigue uh, here in this country, a little bit of fatigue towards the pandemic measures. And if you look at, for instance, last week, Angela Merkel and the state governors there were not able to make a decision. So all they did was recommendations for people you know, to meet with fewer people, to go out less, not to go on trips that are unnecessary. Doesn't seem as though most people followed those rules. And as a result, uh, you could see that the numbers in Germany while they aren't going up or they haven't been going up at the rate that you would have seen a couple of weeks ago, they certainly aren't going down as well. And that's one of the things that the German government has said that they wanted to avoid. They wanted to right. not have to do new measures uh, frequently. They wanted to, at some point, go into a lockdown that works and then come out of it at the right time. The big thing right now they're saying they want to do is obviously try to save Christmas to make sure that people can spend it at least in a smaller circle with their families, Richard. Fred Plaikin in Berlin. Fred, thank you, sir. Now, concerns that Thanksgiving in the U.S. could become what doctors are now calling a super spreader event. Millions of Americans are on the move as the country sees its highest COVID death toll for a single day in more than six months. Rosa Flores is at Miami Airport. Two questions, uh, Rosa. Firstly, is, obviously, I can see it's looking quite busy. But secondly, why, why, why? Why are people ignoring the CDC's call to stay at home this year? You know, I have asked that exact 
question to multiple passengers and they say that they want to go see their families, Richard. And you're exactly right. The CDC is recommending that Americans not do this, but take a look around and I'll show you. There's a lot of people here this morning. We saw the number of passengers pick up at about nine o'clock local time. You see that a lot of these individuals are wearing their masks. Some of them are also wearing face shields. According to officials here at this airport, they're expecting 621,000 passengers to crisscross this airport within a 12-day period that they consider the Thanksgiving holiday travel period. Now that's a decrease, Richard, of 59% compared to last year. But that is still a whole lot of people if you look around me. And I should add that what medical experts are saying right now, that the, the, the way that this virus is spreading in America, it's individuals that are that are hanging out indoors and it's younger people who are asymptomatic who are then transmitted the virus to older individuals and right. that's so, the big worry richard these older right. individuals that are more susceptible so rosa uh, if you and your cameraman look back at that li that line of people uh, that are that are waiting to check in so here you have great airport mm -hmm. miami i know it very well here you have a low ceiling lots of people within short distance of each other even though they are masked even with ventilation and air conditioning it's a it's a recipe for for real problems and you said it best at the beginning of um uh, when you tossed to me some individuals some experts are calling this a super spreader event Thanksgiving in the United States because exactly like you mentioned and if we take another look you'll see the floors are marked for social distancing some people keep a little more distance than others but lots of people in line millions of Americans are expected to crisscross airports across this country and you you and I've traveled a lot Richard we all know <laughs> that you handle your bag you you ha you hand over your either um passport or your driver's license here in the united states you use the bathrooms you go and buy something to eat there's a lot of places that are also very high contact of course airports are taking a lot of measures they are trying to clean these surfaces over and over you see that some of the signs up here also say facial covering required here in the state of Florida. It's not required, but at the airport, they are requiring travelers to wear face masks. So measures are being taken. But again, a lot of Americans not following the guidelines by the CDC. Richard. Rosa, Rosa Farsett, Miami. Thank you, Rosa. I appreciate it. Now, these are the stories making headlines around the world. It's a rare case. A dog in Hong Kong has tested positive for COVID-19. The city is warning people to stay vigilant despite imminent hopes of a vaccine as the number of cases grows. Christy Lustout is on the story for us and breaks down the latest numbers. On Wednesday, Hong Kong reported 85 new cases of the coronavirus, the highest daily total since early August. And the city is taking action. Now, starting on Thursday, all bars, nightclubs and party rooms will be closed for a week. Restaurants must limit the number of customers to half their capacity and no more than four diners are allowed to sit at the same table. A COVID cluster has emerged involving dance studios. So mandatory testing is in effect for anyone who has visited infected dance rooms since the start of the month. In her policy address today, Hong Kong's top leader, Carrie Lam, revealed that some of China's COVID-19 vaccines are reserved for Hong Kongers, but warned that the community should remain vigilant despite the promise of an expected vaccine.
As the research and development of vaccines take time and the epidemic situation remains unstable and may persist for a period of time, we need to be prepared at all times for the next wave. In this city of seven and a half million people, the total number of COVID cases stands at 5,867. Christy Lustout, CNN, Hong Kong. Well, still to come on First Move as we move on this morning. Thanksgiving Americans have been urged to stay safe and not travel. We speak to some of the millions who are ignoring the doctor's advice, as you saw there at Miami Airport. An industry-devastated pandemic. The CEO of Crunch Fitness says gyms have been wrongly categorized as public places. The CEO is with us on this program this morning. Welcome back. It is First Move. Richard in for Julia. More Americans are filing for first-time unemployment benefits again. Another 778,000 did so last week. The expectation was it was going to fall, the number not rise. Now, it's not souring the mood for investors. U.S. futures pointing to a quiet open after recent rallies propelled the Dow to 30,000 for the first time. Notably, support for the Dow has come not from tech names that enjoyed a stellar run. Since the beginning of September, Apple is actually down 14%. Microsoft is down 6%. And Intel is down 7.5%. Lisa Charlotte is the Chief Investment Officer at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management and joins us now. Good to have you. Uh, Thank you uh, for, for joining us. Now, the undercurrent here, the undercurrent of the market to continue rising. Admittedly, it's the S&P and the Dow hit 30,000. What is that undercurrent? Is it just vaccine euphoria? I don't think it's just vaccine euphoria. I mean, we had a recession that started in March uh, and we've been in a V-shaped recovery really ever since uh, we saw the gargantuan stimulus response from both the Fed and Congress. Uh, We have outstanding numbers uh, coming from manufacturing, coming from durable goods orders, coming from a pickup in global trade, coming from housing. Uh, And, you know, while the vaccine is certainly, you know, uh, you know, shed a light at the end of the tunnel and suggest uh, that we may be able to put uh, this global pandemic behind us somewhere in calendar 2021. um, The reality is, is that Americans, as, as well as, quite frankly, Uh, consumers in other countries like China uh, have actually been saving during this period, having foregone spending on consumer services. And our our view is that there's an unbelievable amount of pent up demand. And so next year we're looking at U.S. GDP that's probably going to grow in real terms at almost six percent and with inflation, maybe as much as eight or nine percent. So, so, so whilst we never give direct investment advice, the, the choice for uh, investors, large and small, is really this. Do you buy in now at frothy levels, but buy in because you believe mid next year onwards, it really goes up like a rocket? Or do you wait until you get over what's going to be a very difficult Q4, Q1? Uh, So our advice to clients is always to be averaging in this idea that we can somehow time the market and that we're going to know that the news flow is going to get better in December or January or February uh, has always proven foolish. Um, You know, there's always the things that we didn't anticipate, whereas the market Mm -hmm. has fully discounted them all. And so uh, our advice uh, to our clients, uh, given that we want to be fully invested for the year 2021, 
um, is to be, you know, dollar cost averaging in you opportunistically uh, buying on on days when when the tape is weaker uh, and we have opportunities to get in. But but we now, are. Can I just can I Lisa? Can I just interrupt? Because it's always good to just take a second, I believe, to help understand investment strategies, um, if we may. You used a phrase that maybe some of our viewers won't be so familiar with, averaging in. Uh, I, I, I know. Could, could you give us a little bit more 101? When we talk about averaging in, what do you mean? So let's assume that we want to be fully invested by January. Well, between now and then, there's about six weeks. And let's say we have $1,000 to do that. Every week, we would be deploying one-sixth of that $1,000 uh, to get us there. So we're going to you know, divide our, our, our savings into equal chunks uh, and just really, in a very disciplined way, uh, reach our destination. That's fascinating. Finally, the the environment is infinitely better now, not, not not wishing to denude in any way the personal suffering. Do you worry, Lisa, that there that the, the gap between the real economy and the economy in which you work, the markets, is getting to the point where ordinary people may start to seriously question, you know, the, the ethics and morality of, uh, of, of market capitalism? Uh, wow. So that, that's a very big question. So certainly, uh, I, I think I would address your question in, in two ways. Look, uh, there's always the risk uh, in an environment of extraordinarily accommodative monetary policy uh, that we can uh, confront financial bubbles. And uh, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we at Morgan Stanley are constantly, constantly talking about valuations and what the drivers of valuations are. And in the current environment, you know, watching the level of interest rates is critical because it has played a huge role, these low interest rates in helping support uh, high valuations. Right. Um, and so we, we, wanna, we want to, to pay attention to financial bubbles. We don't think we're there yet. Uh, but we want to be hyper vigilant. The second part of your question, uh, you know, which is, you know, are there elements of the disconnect uh, between the market and Main Street, uh, you know, uh, uh, around the, the extraordinary disparities that we see in our society, whether they be wealth disparities, social justice disparities, health outcome disparities? Uh, I do think is leading to uh, a transformation of the conversation right. around capitalism. And mm -hmm. I think we're moving. Uh, the pendulum has probably swung uh, to the extreme of, of shareholder capitalism that has you know, driven us for the last 40 years. And the concept of stakeholder capitalism uh, is beginning to gain some visibility. And stakeholder capitalism, as, as you well know by, the, by your question, um, you know, is really right. an attempt to make, uh, you know, CEOs and CFOs and treasurers of, of public companies accountable to their employees, to their communities, to uh, their countries, uh, and, and to be, uh, you know, much more robust in their uh, strategic right. thinking about, about their impact uh, on the world. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Lisa, I'm glad we got to we talked that because the, the difficult times that we're in, one can't be one can't ignore them. Thank you, Lisa Chalet of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. I appreciate your time this morning. We'll have the market open. It is going to open in just a minute from now. This is First Move. Welcome back. It is first move and the U.S. markets are open ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. Tomorrow they are closed and then shorter day on Friday. And it's exactly as we expected. The two major indices, the Dow and the Nasdaq, are down. The Nasdaq is up towards a record. And the record high on the Dow on 20 of 30,000. Well, everyone's taking a bit of a pause. It's more about Turkey than trading. A mixed muted first couple of moments on the main indices. Food for thought with the latest number of initial jobless came. 778,000 Americans filed for the first time benefits last week. That's an increase of 30,000 on previous weeks. So that begs question of what's going on there. U.S. public health officials say people should not travel for Thanksgiving. The warning to stay at home so you don't end up in hospital by Christmas. Air travel in the U.S. There was just hit a weekend high for the pandemic era. Pete Montine joins me from Reagan National Airport. Uh, that's uh, in Washington, D.C., just outside. Um, we talked to Rosa Flores, who said people are flying. Um, the airlines, the, the planes are getting more full, but at much lower capacity to begin with. That's right. You know, air travel is still cratered uh, compared to a year ago, Richard. You know, things are just getting going here at Reagan National Airport and at airports across the country. Just yesterday, about 900,000 people passed through security at America's airports. That means about 4.8 million people have flown since the CDC issued that warning to not travel. And that number could be pushed up by about a million more today. Caroline Osler says she could not stay home anymore, so she took a coronavirus test and boarded a flight home to Kentucky for Thanksgiving. I think at some point it just it's, it's too hard to stay away from family, especially for the holidays. It is the rationale of 50 million Americans, according to AAA, who will travel by plane, train or car this week. The new forecast is only a 10 percent decrease from last year's pre-pandemic levels. But AAA thinks the actual number could be even lower as coronavirus cases surge. Last week, the Centers for Disease Control said to cancel holiday travel. I understand um, the risks that I'm taking, but um, I, I want to see my family. Passenger levels are already starting to rise again and set a new record of the pandemic on Sunday. This past weekend was the busiest three days at airports since travel cratered. Major airlines are gearing up for more passengers and adding new flights for the first time since March. Airline industry groups say they are not encouraging travel, but they're not discouraging it either. I think it's perfectly ethical. We would not fly people if it were not safe. Airlines feel empowered by new research that says cleaning like this, plus heavily filtered air on board an airplane and everyone wearing masks, keeps virus transmission rates low. It's a layered approach. Dr. Leonard Marcus is on the team of Harvard virologists who studied the air inside airliners. Their findings that being in a passenger cabin is maybe safer than a grocery store. But Marcus cautions travelers to plan every step of their trip to reduce risk door to door. Everyone has to make a decision about their own personal risk. It's a very personal decision. Airlines are starting programs to test passengers for coronavirus, but only on limited international routes. For Caroline Osler, that means taking another coronavirus test before gathering around the table for a Thanksgiving like no other. I think 
it reaches a point where you have to decide what's best for yourself and how you can best protect yourself and those around you as well. Pete, I don't get it. I mean, and forget the planes. The planes are safe. I'm not, I don't, people aren't concerned about that. I don't get this thing. The CDC says don't travel. And you've been speaking to people who basically say, I want to go and see my family. Therefore, I know better. It is so hard for people to break their Thanksgiving traditions, Richard. And even the TSA data supports that. They say that really not all that many people are canceling their trips. You know, today could be big. But Sunday could be even bigger. That's when the TSA thinks everybody who is left for the holiday could be coming home all at once. Pete Manteen, good to thank you, Pete, joining us from Reagan National. The airlines continue to count the cost of the pandemic. IATA, which is the main body, of course, says the industry is set to lose $157 billion this year and next, 80 this year and more next year. I spoke to the chief executive of Dutch airline KLM, uh, who were the hosts for IATA. Peter Elbers was cautiously optimistic about a vaccine and what it means for aviation. From my view, it's a little premature today to decide precisely who and when we should be vaccinating. I think governments are still deciding what's going to be the exact follow sequence procedures and so on and so forth. But again, have the vaccine in place is going to be a very big step forward for our industry. Is the future essentially either you've had a test or you have a vaccine certificate. And the logistics, really, Peter, is how you, you, you gain the integrity of the system, isn't it? So that the vaccination certificate is lodged somewhere, the tests are lodged, the whole common pass or travel pass issue. How far can we go with this, do you think? Well, it's, it's, going, to take, it's going to take some time. I think this, this, this COVID-19 uh, pandemic has demonstrated how difficult it is to have a uniformed and a unified and a harmonized set of rules and measures all over the world. And after nine months, in fact, we're still dealing with different rules and different regulations country by country. So I think even with the vaccines, we will be dealing with some, some sort of different rules and regulations. But again, here, what's important is that we restore the confidence of our consumers, of the travelers, and the combination of vaccination and testing really would help us to move forward. Do we have a level playing field in aviation? When I look now at some airlines like your own and Air France, your your, your sister company that got uh, billions from your various governments in forms of loans and grants, Lufthansa the same, um, the state-owned carriers of the Gulf, and then you've got those like Air Canada that will happily tell you they didn't receive a penny from the government, well, unhappily tell you they didn't receive a penny from the government or IAG or British Airways and the like. Have we have we got a level playing field for a competitive environment in a post-COVID uh, airline world? Well, ov- obviously, the, the, the COVID situation has completely turned upside down the entire industry and every country is trying to deal in the best possible way with it. I think within Europe, the level playing field is being ensured by the fact that the European Commission has defined a set of rules and a framework in which such support from government by means of loans and guarantees should be matching in. So that framework should eventually guarantee that level playing field. Having said that, we can see that a lot of different rules and measures are taken country by country. And with that, it's sometimes very difficult to compare exactly what's being done where and what's the final impact on that. But then if you see the staggering losses of the industry, it's obvious that the industry needs support to overcome this devastating impact of COVID-19. Peter Alba, CEO of KLM, and this is First Move. 
of New York City is warning of new coronavirus restrictions in the next fortnight, and that includes the closure of gyms. Overall, the statewide positivity rate stands at 2.9%. The gym chain Crunch Fitness is arguing the risk is very low, according to its own figures, which we've been able, unable to verify. Since September, over a million members checked into its gyms in New York, Florida and California. There were only 21 reported cases of COVID-19. That, they say, gives a positivity rate of 0.00191%. You see the number on the screen. Jim Rowley is the CEO of Crunch Fitness. He joins me now. Sir, um, I, I, I get your argument, uh, but it doesn't look likely that it's going to find favour in New York. Is it your understanding that it looks likely that gyms will close or be closed by the government? Good morning, Richard, and thank you for having me. Um, it, it is our understanding that there's some likelihood there, but we also are watching the data very closely, and we're hopeful that we'll get through the weekend and we'll remain open next week. So you have an, an entire variety of measures. Uh, I'll confess, I've not been in one of your gyms, but I've been in others on both sides of the Atlantic uh, during the pandemic. Um, the, the measures that you've taken are fairly uh, extraordinary and uh, but 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 you you say that they're working why is that message not getting across well i think there's there's fear over facts right now uh, the the fact that we're classified with restaurants and bars i think is the the most significant problem and that's creating fear in the media and so forth and by the way just to update your stats we've gone back to june We've done 19.3 million workouts with only 88 reported cases. Some of those reports are self-reported. Others have been reported by health department officials directly to us. We're able to contract trace. We're able to uh, hold our members accountable because they are private membership clubs. So there's a, there's a, you know, it's beyond the cleaning and safety plan. We've got a lot of measures in place to ensure the safety of our team members and our members. The one thing I always notice is... Um, <clears throat> Other gym users don't always wipe down the equipment before and after. I mean, I, I, you know, I can even talk about my own experiences. I make a good faith effort and then somewhere right. along the line, I forget. I mean, you know, for example, if I'm on a treadmill, yes. But if I've just done one dumbbell set, do I have to wipe all the dumbbells or, you, you know, it, it, it's very difficult. Yeah, I can tell you that the member behavior has changed dramatically. you got to realize, too, most of the members that are working out now are very active or they're very, very healthy. They're conscious of the safety measures that are in place. There's also members policing each other kindly. And we have floor ambassadors that are ensuring that if, if something doesn't get wiped down, we're wiping it down for them. Jim, if you look at the business now, um, yes. obviously you, like everybody else, has put in place necessities of, liqu uh, of liquidity raising and the like. Do you believe you have now sufficient to get you through what will be a difficult winter? Well, I think difficult is the right word. It's, it's going to put a, an impossible strain, not only on my company, but on my franchisees and on the entire industry. And I think that's the biggest problem is uh, what if what if the experts got it wrong and an entire industry collapses under its own weight with the rent obligations and and suffers from the fact that we can't be open? I believe that we'll make it through. We've done our forecasting into 2021. It's going to be tight. And if we close down again in Manhattan, it's it may be uh, beyond difficult. But uh, we're, we're going to survive. We're going to do what we can. The problem is, is in order to survive, I've had to furlough thousands and thousands of employees. And that's to the detriment of the entire workforce and to the economy. There's no easy 
solutions. I, I get this and everybody does. And you understand, you know, the, the Solomonic judgment that officials have to make between opening and closing. And do you want to be the one who has to take that risk? But in terms of your business and your franchisees, I mean, do you believe that come mid to late next year, you're effectively going to be rebuilding the network? I do. And I believe that, uh, unfortunately, due to the demise of some of the larger fitness companies and their bankruptcies and closures and so forth, it's created opportunities for us. So in their wake, we'll be opportunistic if we can get through this winter, if we can get into the spring with some momentum. Uh, that's the big opportunity. And look, it, it's not lost on us that this is an impossible situation for the mayors and the governors and so forth. We're just asking them to just look at the facts and the facts state that we are not a problem. We are not the spreader. And this this idea that bars, gyms and restaurants became easy to say and now is reality. That's a real problem that needs to be addressed. Jim. Uh, let's keep in touch over the rest of the year and into next year, sir, if we may, so that we can uh, monitor what's happening and, and report accordingly. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. The, I appreciate your time. This is First Move. More to come. It's been a horrid year for so many people, including anyone in aviation, which, of course, we talk about frequently. And it's had the time has been the worst in its existence. Some optimism is returning in our new series, Think Big. The president of Emirates, Sir Tim Clark, says business travel is set for a major rebound. When does business travel get back to normal or is it going to be defined as a new normal that's probably 25 or 30 percent less than you had prior to the pandemic? No, I, I, I would say the converse. What has happened is that as a result of being locked down, as a result of having to engage in the, the, the networks that you're seeing, whether it be Zoom team or whatever, um, and I saw it in the, in the mid-90s when we digitized the global economy and all these tools came to market. The digital world rule, the age of information came along and everybody said, you know, what's going to happen? We're not really going to travel anymore. We won't want to do this. And actually, we can do much more of what we wanted to do over the... The converse happened. Between 1995 and 2015, 2018, the demand for business travel grew exponentially. As we get back to normal, as the, as the economies strengthen, as cash starts flowing back into the businesses that have been affected, you'll forget all of it, as they always do. We'll start see business travel bounce back and we'll see it grow. It will not slow down. You know, you had a $5 billion swing from profitability to loss in the latest quarter. Can you get to profitability in the first half of 2022 as a carrier then, I as think, a group? I think we will start seeing a, a, a rapid return to cash positivity during the course of 21, again, the back half. I would say that in the financial year 22-23, that's when you'll see the airline going back to profitability um, and, and, and generating the cash that it needs to do all the, meet the obligations that it has. And we can then continue our plans for fleet renewal, uh, for network expansion um, with some of the new aircraft, the tools that we need to start opening up new points. That'll happen in 22, 23, 24. Um, so, all right, I may be out by six months. But in the past, we've generally got it right when we take a, an assessment of what's likely to happen. And in the end, you plan for that. You action your whole uh, company resource on that plan and hope that it comes as good as I think it will.
Four we go, as they say, a four you go. Another look at the US markets. And we'll have a break from tomorrow due to Thanksgiving. So best to save the action while we can. Well, there you have two down, one up. The Nasdaq towards the record. It appears investors are taking something of a pause after the breathless rallies that have taken the historic Dow to 30,000. Now just come down back underwards again. The initial jobless claims went up for a second straight week. Paul Monica, we started with and we end with you, Paul. Um, it's interesting now. <laughs> I see. The market's basically, I mean, everybody's on a quiet day today, but the trend is still there. Look at the Nasdaq. That tells us what we need to know today. Yeah, I think what's interesting, Richard, is that we've had this alternate uh, you know, kind of viewpoint on Wall Street where every now and then investors seem to say, you know what, big tech is over. We're fleeing the fangs. We're going to rush back into the recovery stocks, the airlines, the hotels and what have you. And you see the Dow and S&P 500 outperform the NASDAQ. But today, Dow and S&P 500 are slipping a bit, NASDAQ getting another bid. So I think, you know, investors just can't quit big tech, you know, yet they still are infatuated with the growth prospects of the companies like Apple and Netflix. And I don't think anything is going to change in 2021. Yes, there might be a need to have new market leadership, but these companies, they're still going to grow pretty dramatically, I think, next year, regardless of what's happening with the broader economy, I would suspect. Okay, so the, the, the jobless claims numbers, aberration, two months in a row, more added. Do we just sort of say, well, you know, these numbers are so volatile that even with a mini trend, it's still unreliable? I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think, yes, it is true that these are weekly numbers right. that are volatile and subject to revisions, but We've had now two weeks in a row going up, and what's the constant here in those two weeks? Oh, yeah, we don't have any more stimulus from the uh, federal government. We're probably going to need that, or this is going to be a rough winter where we could see jobless claims continue to spike higher. Paul Monica, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. A reminder of the markets as uh, I'll leave you with the markets. That is for all for first move for today. Two down, one up, no trading tomorrow. We'll be here, of course with first move and i'll have quest means business for you five hours from now time to go and get a bite of breakfast otherwise whatever you're up to between now and then i hope it's profitable When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.